For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, Metro Week host Andrea Kelly gives us an update on changes in leadership for the Tucson Unified School District. Visit three businesses that work in harmony to bring the flavors of the world to Midtown Tucson. And a look at the positive effect a pair of homeless kittens had on seniors coping with memory loss. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. Tucson Unified School District hired an interim superintendent this week. The move comes after weeks of turmoil regarding the top job in the largest school district in the metro area. Now Metro Week host Andrea Kelly joins me for more on the story. Hello, Andrea. Hi, Mark. So tell me, who's now the top official at TUSD? It's Gabriel Trujillo. He used to be, or you know, just days ago, was an assistant superintendent of curriculum and instruction for the district. And before that, he worked as a principal in the Phoenix district's largest high school. And he was an administrator also in the Phoenix Union High School District later. And he said he's actually, because of that experience, used to dealing with some of the same issues that TUSD has on its plate. So I'm very comfortable with what it is to have uh, angry and concerned community members demanding answers, uh, wanting access to school information, uh, expecting exceptional customer service. I'm very comfortable with what it is to have the challenge of closing an achievement gap uh, for students in a lower socioeconomic area. So while the stage is a lot bigger, the role is a comfortable one for me to be in. That was Trujillo speaking in a press conference Wednesday. It was his first day on the job. So why is he only interim? Why has he not been appointed as a permanent superintendent? That is a complicated question. So I'm going to go back through a little bit of recent history for uh, the last few months. In January, the new TUSD governing board member, Rachel Sedgwick, called for a performance evaluation of the superintendent at the time, which was H.T. Sanchez. That conversation turned into a negotiation about whether the board would want to keep him or fire him and what it would cost to fire him because they would have had to pay the rest of his contract if they fired him without cause or without a reason, uh, performance reason. So in the process of that negotiation, the former superintendent, H.T. Sanchez, resigned the position and um, they ended up paying him out about $200,000. That was a negotiated settlement. That set the district on the path for looking for a new superintendent, which is what's happening now, and they needed someone to run things while they look for that next permanent superintendent. In taking the position, did Trujillo himself comment on any of this instability in the district? He didn't necessarily make a direct comment about it, but he recognized that it's an issue, and for some in the community, there's a lot of uncertainty. Here's what he said he plans to do. I think it's about just a lot of listening and seeing what our community thinks and feels uh, about uh, education in our city and the level of education and quality uh, that their kids are receiving in our schools. So I'm excited to embark on what I call a listening tour, uh, not only for our staff, but also for our community as well. 
He'll visit a bunch of schools and hold employee forums where he wants to hear about challenges the school employees face. And then he's going to hold community forums, some of which will be after 6 p.m. so people can come after work. And he's actually going to answer questions to the public. At this point, is there any indication that Trujillo will be interested in applying for the permanent job? It's a good question. It's one we asked him at the press conference on Wednesday, and there's kind of a hazy answer to it. First of all, he said he did put his hat in the ring to apply for permanent superintendent. He said he would withdraw from the process, though, if it becomes too cumbersome and actually gets in the way of him doing the job as interim superintendent. There has been a kind of a shaky track record with the TUSD. H.T. Sanchez left with 16 months left on his contract. Uh, prior to him, John Petticone departed the position almost two years earlier than was expected. And Selena Fagan resigned after less than two years on the job. Um, this must make it difficult when they head into the recruitment process to find the next permanent superintendent. I would think so, and that's a question I've been asking in my own reporting, and there seems to be kind of two sides of that coin. One is, yeah, that seems like a lot of turnover. Who wants to go and work on a district that seems like it has a problem retaining people? Uh, The other end of that is there are people who look for challenges like this. Lee Lambert, the chancellor of Pima Community College, came here to fix a district that needed help. So there are people who look for those kinds of jobs. And then alternatively, Uh, The other question is maybe we shouldn't expect people to stick around a lot longer than that. So potentially community expectations are part of the issue. We don't know. Well, thank you for taking a closer look at what's been going on with TUSD. Thanks for having me, Mark. Tucson's 2016 designation as a United Nations City of Gastronomy has brought a lot of attention to our city's blend of international flavors. It's safe to say that more people in the U.S. have at least heard of Sonoran hot dogs now than ever before. But Tucson's unique blend contains influences from much farther abroad than the border region. Next, Bryn Baylor visits a block in Midtown that offers a mix of exotic sights, smells, and flavors for anyone with a taste for adventure. The shelves of Caravan Mideastern Foods are a riot of color and flavor. Here are piles of bright red spices, sweet paprikas, fiery cayenne, hearty ground Aleppo pepper, Ethiopian Berberry, and many others. In the next room are brightly colored teas, juices, clothing, and foods, including more than 20 different kinds of beans from all over the world. This kind of variety attracts a lot of attention. For international foods market owner Khalifa Soleiman, communication is key. We serve many uh, ethnicities from the Middle East, Europe, Asia, Russia, and Far East, and South America too. And they have their food and they come for shopping and it's really, you know, completing each other. Soliman is a Libyan native who earned his master's degree in architecture from the University of Arizona in the 1980s. Unable to return to his home country during the reign of dictator Muammar Gaddafi and unable to find work here, he opened one of the first international food markets in the Old Pueblo. That was three decades ago. Next July is, is, uh, will be 30. Only here. This, this is the only place. One owner, me and my, uh, my wife. But he is not alone. 
Caravan is one of a trio of specialty shops on the unassuming northwest corner of Country Club Road and Glen Street, a midtown intersection you're more likely to speed through than remember. Next door to Caravan, you'll also find Aquavita Natural Foods Market and Zatar Mediterranean Restaurant and Bakery. Between them, they offer a dizzying array of international foods and goods not available elsewhere in Tucson. All told, the shops can take you around the world in about 80 steps. When Solomon opened his store in 1987, one of his earliest customers was now retired educator Khalil Halawani, a native of Saudi Arabia. He and his wife Aida often travel from their home in Oro Valley to shop at the eclectic Midtown Market. He started with a really small store, so he's expanding and he has a lot of varieties of different things that we need it. As you know, we are Middle Eastern, we need to eat our food and go back to our culture and that's why we always come here. And plus his products are, he has carries always excellent products. And also for my husband during Ramadan season we come for the dates because nowhere else you can find the quality dates that he carries. And that's in order to break their fast. Uh-huh. Aida knows the art of blending cultures. Her own heritage is Italian-American and Mexican and she lived in Saudi Arabia for 10 years. She said that cultural differences are a strength. You know, we are different nationalities, and we are a melting pot society, and that's what makes us so unique, and that's, that is what makes our country so wonderful. Outside Caravan, I encountered Joy Brand. This public health educator was visiting from Hawaii. She sought out Caravan after finding it online. It was like being a child in a candy store with all these exotic foods and spices and different kinds of teas and different kinds of jams like young walnut jam and rose petal preserves and just really beautiful, delicious stuff. Over the years, Soliman has employed many refugees or other newcomers. One was Kurdish immigrant Ari Baban, who came from northern Iraq in the late 1990s. Baban now owns Zatar Restaurant, which opened up a few feet away in a former 1960s-era El Taco. There's room for little more than a handful of tables, a grill, and a special brick oven that Baban had installed. The store is kind of different than my operation. People from the, any region, they come to buy the store, but my client, that's mostly American, so they want to try the food because these people, they cook at home. American, they don't cook at home. But if they have cooking questions, Baban knows exactly where to refer them. People, they say like, how do you make that shawarma? How, what kind of spice? I said, go next door, they have it. <laughs> yes. Zatar's menu includes dishes found throughout the Middle East and Mediterranean. There are date-stuffed breads, lamb and chicken shawarmas, hummus and baba ganoush, and honeyed baklava. One thing you won't find are a lot of frills. And Yelp, somebody's put, they need to work on their decor. And, and I would say, I'm not trying to be a Subway here or a, a McDonald's with the, all the stuff. When you go to Middle East, this is what you see. This is what was happening. Nothing makes me happy when people, they have a nice meal and they enjoy it. As traffic rushes by on Country Club, teachers Stacy Pierce and Jessica Jarrett have dinner outside on one of Zatar's concrete picnic tables. Jarrett explains her attraction to the three businesses. I kind of enjoy that uh, that there's a, 
a mix of cultures and I think that's one of the things that makes Tucson so special is that we as a community embrace one another. Pierce says she found Aqua Vita especially helpful. I think I had the flu and I had gone there just to get some natural medication and they have a wealth of knowledge and so he led me to exactly what I needed. It was awesome. Definitely better than going to the pharmacist. On the other side of Caravan is Aqua Vita. Its brick exterior is painted a distinctive milk chocolate brown with accents of eggplant and aquamarine. Inside you'll find shelves of exotic powders ranging from agar agar to yucca root and row after row of glass jars and bottles containing bulk herbs and herbal extracts. There's also a busy self-serve water station. The noise occasionally interrupted my interview with store manager Harmeet Singh. It seems like you have a wonderful bulk selection of, like... Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Presiding over the usually quiet store, you may find Singh, a native of the Indian region of Punjab. Or you may be greeted by Mohan, his father, who wears a traditional turban and offers customers helpful advice on everything from essential oils to cleaning products. The younger Singh has lived in Tucson more than a decade and has watched Aqua Vida as well as Caravan and Zatar as they've grown over the years. He said their fates and fortunes are all linked. What we have is totally different than what they have over there. You know, it's just basically what we see here mostly, people just come in here for shop, but we also see people discovering the other stores next to it they're excited about that as well. Instead of traveling one place to another, you can just uh, be in one spot and then you can just travel the whole world from there. For Arizona Spotlight, this is Bryn Baylor. School is already a tough place for many teens, but it can be especially challenging if you're living with a mental illness. How can educators help? Gisela Tellis takes a look at where schools succeed and fail when it comes to meeting their students' mental health needs. At Desert Christian High School in Tucson, the student services room was a sanctuary for senior Cassandra Temple. I think this is a place where they can like just relax and chill and like collect their thoughts before they go back out there. I feel like it's my second home. The door is always open to students with learning disabilities, mental health disorders, emotional trauma, or other challenges that can make school a stressful place. Here, they can talk to tutors, work on projects, or find some respite from the day. And that's by design, says Principal Meg Chandler. The idea is to meet the needs for that individual learner. Um, and, and, and the way we look at it is that it honors that kid for their humanity, the way they are, the way they were designed to learn. Desert Christian is an independent, faith-based school. Secular, private, and public schools are also exploring ways to support students' mental health, largely because the demand has never been higher. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, about 20% of teens experience a mental health disorder in any given year, and that prevalence is on the rise. Cindy Ruich has seen it firsthand. It really, it increased dramatically over the years. Students with um, ADD. And not only that, but students with really serious issues like schizophrenia, students with bipolar disorder. 
As the current director of student services for the Marana Unified School District, Ruich helps implement a multi-level system of support for students who are struggling socially or emotionally. We want school to be a safe place where they feel valued and so that they're able to learn. Because if their social-emotional is not intact, they're not going to be ready for the academic side. But without guidelines or requirements for mental health support, schools are inconsistent in what they offer. And with resources stretched thin, Ruich says many schools can't keep up. Moran High School has like 2,200 kids and four and a half counselors. And if you look across Pima County, not all schools have counselors. With all of the budget cuts from the State Department, unfortunately, counselors are one of the first people, or I should say employees, that school districts cut. So there is not a, a standard across Pima County or across Arizona. The stigma surrounding mental illness also plays a part. Psychologist Patricia Harrison-Monroe says it can keep students from seeking help and keep educators from recognizing the need for it. Some people assume that you just need to pull yourself together and, and stop whining and you should be okay. And so there's a lot of misinformation within the school system, I think, that just kind of gets perpetuated. Uh, it's, it's a reflection of our uh, society in general. She says the key is educating educators about mental health and emotional trauma. That means opening yourself up to trainings, being willing to spend the time to learn more, being able to look at an individual student and say, here are several of the warning signs that I've learned about recently. I need to do something with that information versus ignoring it and hoping you know, the child will either go away, transfer out of the school, or just grow out of it. In the Center for Child Well-Being at Arizona State University, researcher Judy Kreisick is making that training more accessible. She and her colleagues have designed online modules that teach teachers how to recognize emotional distress and make the classroom more mental health friendly. Teachers can work through the modules at their own pace, playing out classroom scenarios and answering questions as they go. Kreisig says the goal is for teachers to learn to integrate mental health awareness into everything they do. It's almost like we treat children as if they come in pieces. So the school deals with the education, the medical doctor deals with the physical health, but that's not the reality. Children go to school with all their pieces. They're social, they're emotional. We have to deal with the whole child. And when the whole child can find a sanctuary, Ruich says, the whole community benefits. If we don't give them voice, we're going to miss the boat, I believe, on really helping them to be as successful as they can be. I'm Gisela Tellis for Arizona Spotlight. That was a radio adaptation. You can find more mental health reports from Gisela Tellis at azpm.org. The internet is well known for loving cats. So when an innovative local program began using kitten care as a form of therapy for seniors with memory loss, the story quickly went viral. Producer Andrew Brown wanted to find out the facts behind the fluff. So next we'll hear about the difference a pair of homeless kittens can make. This story is narrated by Steve Jess. 
The Pima Animal Care Center is the only open admission shelter in Tucson. Every year it takes in roughly 20,000 animals, mostly dogs and cats. Samantha Nellis at Pima Animal Care Center says the goal is to spay or neuter, microchip, and then adopt out as many animals as possible. It's referred to as a live release rate. Last fiscal year we made it to 90. Um, when I first started here a few years ago, it was in, I think, the low 70s. Right. Ten years ago, the live release rate was around 40%. Getting it to 90 was hard work. It means a lot more of these animals are finding homes and leaving the shelter alive. Innovations and new ideas helped, including expanding the foster program. Foster programs are amazing, especially for little guys like him and younger. Um, the shelter's really not a place to grow up. I've been a foster for Pima Animal Care Center for many, many years. I know that there's such a desperate need. And on social media, I often see desperate pleas going out. Seven bottle-fed babies, you know, eyes not open yet, must leave the shelter. Rebecca Hamilton is a registered nurse at Catalina Springs Memory Care. Here they provide round-the-clock care for residents with Alzheimer's, dementia, and other forms of memory loss. We're always looking for new activities for them that can bring meaning and depth and joy into their lives. Hamilton had an idea that the residents and caregivers at the center could act as a collective foster family. They said, fine, when we find the next perfect litter, you'll get a call. Of course, I was like, yeah, we'll do it right now if you want to do it. That was on a Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, I got the call. We have the perfect two kittens for you. And so it began. Two tiny kittens that needed to be bottle-fed every few hours joined residents at the center. One is Turtle, that's the official name. And then the other one is named Peaches. Peaches was a little tiny baby wrapped up in a towel. Do you remember that? But do you remember holding her and giving her the bottle? Uh -huh. Remember I would always come yeah. on? Yeah. And I'd say, who wants to feed kittens? I and, did. Yes, <laughs> you did. And you were very good at it. As that muscle memory is re-engaged, holding a baby, giving a baby a bottle, memory channels are completed and reawakened again. And that's what's so lovely about the story of Thelma suddenly recalling, you know, all the cats that she had raised in, on the farm where she grew up. We had 19. 19? Well, you're just like a baby. I used to put mine in a, a baby oh, carriage, around. take it around, and put a dress on it. Those memories are very precious to us because those memories are some of the first things that our residents lose. This is Jean-Claude Collinet. Oui. Oui, and he is from France. And this is Greg Moore. And Greg, I think, actually is more bonded with these cats than almost anyone here. I had a cat when I was a kid. And, uh, and then we had uh, dogs after that. And 
So, but there's always been a, a, an animal around someplace around the house. Your cat is not as good as mine. I know. There's so much to say about these kittens that I find with some of our residents, words come more easily. I can let them out of their cage, and they're usually pretty lazy, pretty lazy. But, uh, but they'll brighten up and get going real fast. Yes, this is a dear gentleman, but he really does have significant cognitive deficits. This whole experience and subject is important to him, and he's really done his absolute best to express that. My guess is that they're about two and a half pounds uh, per two. Now the turtle and peaches are over two pounds, they will soon be spayed and adopted out to their forever homes. Residents here will have to say goodbye. This was always a nice, happy place, but it is very joyful with their presence. <laughs> she loves you. Sometimes we give comfort and receive comfort at the same time. And that's certainly been the case here. Okay. It may be difficult to say goodbye to these two. How could it not be? But the program will continue. This was the first like little pilot litter. So after these guys come back, they actually want to try with two different litters next time because they have two separate wings. So each wing of the memory care facility can have their own litter to take care of. I think that it won't, wouldn't be too surprising to find this uh, getting a replacement for her. This program's actually got a, a ton of attention. Not only just like here in Southern Arizona, but like Phoenix in Canada, as far away as like the UK. Yeah, that's a good kitty. My ulterior motive in all of this is that this serve as an example. It is an ideal combination, a perfect use of resources for the good of both. And um, I hope that other assisted living homes take our example and take it further. So should we get some more? Two more? Hmm. Tw 20 more. 20 more? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll have you bottle feeding all day. Oh, yeah. Okay. That story was produced by Andrew Brown and narrated by Steve Jess. It originally aired on Arizona Illustrated on PBS 6, so you can find video of Turtle and Peaches in action at azpm.org. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. You can also find podcasts on iTunes. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. Our executive producer is Peter Michaels. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore. Mm -hmm.